Good evening, everyone. It's Ray and Tuck, and this is the Fresh Perspective Podcast. Today, we have a special guest, James Mozan Jr. For, from Ministry for Millennials. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, fellas. I appreciate the invitation, and it's an honor to be sitting amongst you this evening. It's an honor to have you on, brother. Right, right. So today we're going to break into uh, the topic of the coronavirus, um, the coronavirus, and who or what do you think is in control of this time right now that we're going through? Um, so, Tuck, you got any uh, perspective or any uh, things that you want to put out on the table? Yeah. Um, first thing I want to say is uh, be smart, but don't panic. That's the, that's the first thing I'll say. Um, and, and the thing I think about is the fact that um, a lot of times when things like this happen, uh, the news, um, whether it be the news, whether it be social media, tends to put people in a frenzy. So you see the things that are happening at supermarkets. Um, this time, toilet paper went like <laughs> pancakes and everybody just took the toilet paper. Um, while it's funny, at the same time, the thing I thought about when I saw that was that's panic. That's anxiety. Um, and there's nothing good that comes from panic or anxiety. Right. Uh, one, um, we have a virus that is going around. Um, we've always been dealing with viruses and bacteria and things like that that have affected the human body, um, but um, like the flu each year. So we have a virus that is new or newer, a newer strand that's going around and people panic. And so the first thing that I can think of is that's not good. Um, if you're panicking, if you're stressing, if you're um, being overly anxious about um, anything, you're lowering your immune system. So you're really defeating um, what God has already set up inside of you to defeat these things uh, when you do this. Um, so there's plenty of times where we're urged not to worry. Um, and part of that, I, I would like to also think is the thing is like, I put something inside of you to fight these things. And the one thing that, that, it's not being reported that much. It's all about the cases and it's all about the deaths. It's, there's not a lot of reporting about people surviving this. Right, right. So you have to think that this panic, this um, anxiety, and this frenzy is intentionally played up. Um, there are a lot of people surviving this virus across the world. Um, and there's there's a there's a good number of people who may have died or just gone through extreme circumstances with it, but and that that's also reality. But the, the other reality, when you leave out a piece of reality, that means there's an intentionality behind the information being put out. Um, and so you want people to go out and buy up all the tissue or buy all this food that we may not ever need. You know, we come right. into the clear in the next week or so or two weeks or something. And then you got all this food in your fridge and it's not really necessary for you to have it, you know? Um, and so you're relying more on the fact that you could prepare for something rather than the fact that God can bring you through whatever, even if you don't have what you think you need to get through that storm. So my main thing is just be smart, be clean, and but you don't need to panic. We don't need to panic. Um, if you do feel like you have the virus. And sometimes some people get into a frenzy and feel like, oh, I, I might have the virus. And it's like, if you feel like you have it, um, call your uh, your uh, medical medical professional, your your uh, primary care associate or or uh, physician, and just 
let them know what your symptoms are and let them walk you through what you need to walk through. But there's no need to really panic. And if you panic, a lot of times that's what's going to make you sick. So it may right. not be moderate. You can get the flu. You can get anything else. So just, <laughs> just be smart but and be clean, but don't panic and don't be anxious because the chances that you get it um, may be very low for you or that you get it and even have any symptoms may be low. Um, and be and just be smart. You know, I think social distancing may be good. Yes, we're social distancing from people outside of our family, our immediate family and our homes, so we can reconnect. Um, a lot of times we spend more time connecting shallow in a shallow manner with people outside of our homes. Right. Um, and when we come in, our energy is so low, we don't have the time to connect with those who are inside of our homes. So I think it's important. This time is important for that. There's this kind of like reconnection to the family that's happening because the family structure has been broken down in our nation for a long time. So I think there's also um, divine intervention in the sense of now we got to be with our families. Now we got to we got to figure some stuff out because we're going to we got to be with our families for a while. And yes, you can go outside. Don't think you can't step outside for fresh air or go for a walk or something like that. You can do those things. So like I said, don't panic, be smart and be clean. Wash right. your hands, use sanitizer where you can't get to uh, soap and water, things of that nature. Things that we should be doing anyway, because <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Things we should be doing anyway, because we interact in a world that's full of germs and, you know, bacteria <clears throat> um, on a daily basis. And, and we just don't, we don't ever know. So we should be doing these things on a daily um it's you know hand sanitizer and things of that nature sold out uh antibacterial sprays and wipes all that stuff sold out right but the soap aisle for like washing your body is still fully stocked <laughs> so it's like what is going on so so what are you, you in a you in a shower doing this with the sanitizer that's what i'm saying like oh, man, washing it off so you know and i think it's necessary to have those things but i mean these are things that you know I've had sanitizer in my car for, you know, since I can remember. It's just something you have because if you're in transit, you don't really have the ability to wash your hands. So, you know, you got your sanitizer just in case you, you know, whatever. You could sneeze or whatever. Um, Try to have stuff to wipe my car stuff down. Just, you know, things that you just would have. Um, Stuff in the house, cleaning supplies, like I didn't run, I'm not going to run out and buy, you know, you can go anywhere now. Everything's sold out. You can go on Amazon. You can't find any type of, if you need, if you need a cleaning spray, like if you ran out from your supply, you kind of out of luck. Like, you know, (laughs) you're out of luck right now because everybody just took and it's like, you don't need 30, uh, like antibacterial, like Clorox wipes. You don't need 30 bottles of that or 30 cases of that. You like, you don't need to do that. You don't need to buy up all the toilet paper and it's okay. You know, if you run out of toilet paper, there's other ways that you can clean yourself, you know, <laughs> like right. that. Oh, that you don't need toilet paper. So just those things to me is like, do not panic. Cause when we panic it, one, it lowers just your critical thinking ability. So you panic, you go out and do all this stuff and you're not thinking that I'm affecting somebody else too. So now we got people, you know, I've seen stories of elderly people who are like, afraid you know because they didn't they didn't get out in enough time to get what they needed and so stuff like that i'm like we got to start thinking you're so in a frenzy and worried about yourself now you're not thinking about your community 
you're not thinking about, oh, wow, I'm stocking up on all this stuff and taking all this, all these resources, but I'm not helping out somebody else that, that may not be able to get out. Or if they do, they're afraid of what might happen. So that's just my thought, my kind of thought opening um, about this whole coronavirus and just the frenzy around it. Right. So <clears throat> it's funny uh, when you mentioned toilet paper, I chuckled, um, but I only chuckled because I seen a meme um, on Facebook yesterday, yeah, yesterday, um, and it said, uh, my house was TP last night. Um, if, if you know what TP is, is when they throw toilet paper all over it. And it said the value of my house went up to $875,000. And I laughed because <clears throat> um, in the where we are right now with all the toilet paper leaving the shelves and things like that, that is how people is, is thinking basically like that toilet paper is worth millions of dollars to them. Um, and when in all reality is only worth the $5 and 49 cents that they actually bought it for, or however much that store, you know, charge them for it. Um, but to just to think about it, like to think about, um, the coronavirus being quarantined, um, using those words, like the media using those kind of words, like, uh, quarantine or lockdown or, uh, you know, just the different stuff that they use to try to, to scare us as, um, humans. Uh, let's use it. Let's, let's just look at it from the human perspective first. Uh, is it's crazy to me. You know what I'm saying? Like to to be able to, and it's working because you see uh, the ma the mass uh, hysteria in the world. You know what I'm saying? You see how store shelves are completely empty, as if uh, it was going to be a six foot snowstorm tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? Like that's when people clear the shelves when it's <clears throat> um, something that you can't get out of your house for. You can freely walk out that front door. You know what I'm saying? You can freely walk down the street. You can freely get in your car and drive. Now, I'm, they might pull you over and ask you where you're going, whatever the case may be, uh, but you can freely do those things. So um, for the world to be in a panic um, as human jest is expected because um, if we look at it, I don't know the percentage, um, and I would definitely have to uh, check out the percentage um, of, of believers versus non-believers in the world, but you see most believers um, in this time is spending more time with God. Most believers are saying, oh, God is in control. It's faith over fear. Um, God has this thing by the horns. You know what I'm saying? Most believers are, are not in the panic, if that makes sense. Um, but it is our job as believers and it is our job to, to help other, help people who are not believers, if that makes sense. Um, help the unbeliever, um, see, you know, what God can, can do, what God can, how God can take them to the next level of, oh my God, oh, it is, it is a virus. Yes, it is a virus. It's a very real thing. Um, and it is, you know, like you said, it is killing people um, daily. The numbers are skyrocketing. The uh, amount of positive cases um, every day is going through the roof, but it's only going through the roof because um, they're just releasing more tests. Yes. You know what I'm saying? So yes. it's going to go through the roof because you're allowing more people to test. In the beginning of it, it was only only if you went to the hospital with these symptoms, are you going to get tested? Now it's, hey, call your 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 primary care, get a referral, a referral for a deadly virus. That doesn't make sense. Wow. So <clears throat> uh, my thoughts on it, honestly, bro, is really... Is, is a way for the world or the higher ups, the government to control us or try to control us um, to, the, to a spot of 
backing us into corners, which is you can call your house a corner, honestly, because they're saying you are confined to those four walls and that roof and that basement floor or whatever the case may be or whatever your dwelling is. That is what you're confined to unless you're an essential worker. Now, you know, I, I, I praise those essential workers who, who uh, put their um, health at risk every single day going into hospitals where, um, you know, this virus exists you know, mm-hmm. taking the, the right precaution um, to go into the hospital and then to come out and bring it back to their families. I, I applaud them and I, I think that they, they deserve the world. Um, and that's just my opinion of it. Um, but going into, you know, the actual virus, like the actual idea of this virus. So um, January, let me get my notes. I think it was the 17th, if I'm not mistaken. January 19th. Yeah, January 19th. So on January 19th, I got a call um, from my dad as I was driving to New Jersey and he was telling me um, that he was sick. And uh, he was like, yeah, son, you know, I'm sick. I can't breathe. Um, They say I got the flu and pneumonia at the same time. Right. So I'm like, all right, cool. Like you good. You want me to come out there? He was like, no, I got it. I can I can get through this or whatever. So I go to the event. Uh, with my brother that I was going to. Um, and halfway through the event, I get a call from my sister. I didn't feel my phone vibrate because it was a it was a rap battle. So I was in the midst of, uh, you know, people going back and forth and, you know, the crowd and all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> um, so I didn't necessarily see her call. And then my stepmother called me and she called me like two or three times, bro, back to back. And she never calls me um, in succession like that. Right. So once I looked at my phone, I'm like, all right, I need to get in touch with somebody because obviously there is something wrong. So I, <clears throat> excuse me. So I call them back and they're like, listen, um, they just put dad on life support. You need to get, you know, something is going on, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, all right, I'll be there before he wakes up in the morning. And he was like, no, the doctor said he's not going to wake up in the morning. So the human in me, I instantly was began to panic, but the believer in me was like, oh no, this, this ain't what it is. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I began to pray um, and ask for clarity. So we got in the car, we drove across four states, five states, something like the four states to get there. Uh, it took us like 14 hours. I get there is a uh, Monday when we get there, Monday at probably like 11 o'clock um, in, the, in the morning, closer to 12, I think. So we get there. Uh, I sent everybody else inside, inside the room first, because I'm like, man, I don't think I can see my dad the way that they sent the picture. So they sent the picture of him hooked up to um, the, the incubator or the intubated uh, with the the breathing machine, like hooked up and him respirator, not being, I believe. yeah, respirator or ventilator, whatever it is. Um, but him not being able to breathe on his own and they, they induced him into a medically induced coma, right? So that he wouldn't fight all, he wouldn't try to fight the very thing that attacked uh, his lungs. Um, but then... Uh, I finally go into the room, bro, and I look at him. I'm like, wow, like, like, dang, I touched his hand, no response, right? So I'm instantly like, wow, this is crazy. So I go to the end of the bed <clears throat> um, and I pray. I said a prayer, um, and then I left. I left the hospital for like, probably like eight hours, right? I'm like, all right, I can't do this right now. Like, I just can't do it. Um, so I left, we went to the hotel. I got on a call with my spiritual family. We get on a call, we begin to pray. Um, and I had heard before I got on the call that I needed to go and pray for my father. Like I needed to go pray him up out of this thing. That was my mission in the beginning is to go pray him up out of this thing. Right. Mm. Uh, so all of the symptoms of the coronavirus is what my, what my father had. 
However, I didn't know uh, what it was called or what he was dealing with until they actually brought it to the light, right? But if you've seen the newspaper article around when Kobe passed away, which was like, um, they had an article back in January, what was it, January 27th, around that time, they had an article with Kobe on the front page of uh, a New York um, publication, but to the left of it, it said something about the coronavirus. So they've, they've known about it for quite some time. And actually that came out 10 days after, or five days after I came home from being out there, right? So he had all the symptoms of the coronavirus. He was dealing with the exact things that people deal with right now, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, I took my stepmom, we went into the room, bro. Uh, and we prayed for my dad at nighttime. It was like nine o'clock at night. We prayed for my father. We laid hands on my father. We demanded that that thing, that very thing that was uh, overtaking his body come up off his body, right? So we prayed about it. We kissed him. We went home. The next morning we come, he up writing, bro. Like he's not fully conscious, but he's up writing, like on pieces of paper, just writing, like conversating with us through writing, right? Because he still has a tube in his throat. He can't really talk. Um, So I asked the doctor, I said, uh, how long has he been like this? He woke up in the middle of the night off of the very medication that they medically induced him into a coma. Uh, people don't wake up off that medicine. There's only the power of God that'll wake you up off that medicine. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. God broke through something to wake him up off that medicine to, to to relieve him from the very thing that was trying to attack him, right? And right now, this virus is the very thing that's trying to attack us um, as people. You know, not even just believers, but us as people, this virus is trying to attack us. Um, however, the government is trying to attack believers by locking us down, um, not being allowed to assemble um, physically, but we are assembling virtually. Ha. Huh? Um, and now we can get more people, um, in our, in our places of worship than we were able to do before because all of our, our worship centers aren't the same size. There's big worship centers, there's mega worship centers, there's small, um, confined, um, intimate worship centers. But now, um, there, there was 13,000 people on, uh, there was a DJ that I seen uh, gospel DJ, and he was uh, he was mixing it, bro. He was going in. It was thirteen thousand people on his live feed. Thirteen thousand people on his live feed for a Christian worship uh, service that he decided to put on, um, scratching or whatever. Uh, so I say that to say that um, yes, this virus is real. Yes, this virus is serious. However, what the government is saying um, that we need to be in. A, a mode of panic. We do not need to be in a mode of panic. We need to be in a mode of prayer. We need to be in a mode of worship. We need to be in a in a mode of of fellowshipping with other believers um, who believe like you believe, who 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 want to uh, see the glory of God at the end of all of this. Um, so yeah, that's my my take on what's going on right now. So uh, James, you got anything you want to say? Man, y'all. Y'all out here dropping nuggets, like, you know what I mean? Like, both you and Tuck, y'all, y'all are talking about something that, um, it, it, the truth of the matter is, like, wait, really, I want to go all the way back to just what Tuck was talking about. Um, I, well, first of all, me personally, I always find revelation in everything. Like, I really ask, like, yo, God, give me clarity on what I'm looking at. And this is what I want to share. To Tuck's point, the coronavirus is literally heightening everyone's cognizant efforts towards cleanliness at the end of the day, right? 
we think about how coronavirus came out and it spread all quickly over the last month, right? And, um, you know, the, the quick statistics that I was looking at was like, you know, 471,000 worldwide cases, 21,000 deaths, but the penetration is only 2.5% of the population, okay? And I'm sharing this to say this, you know, the coronavirus became popular because it hit here six months after it was already live. It was live since last November in Japan. I mean, in China. I'm sorry. China was dealing with it, but no one was paying attention, right? China started dealing with it to the point where China had to go indoors and force their population off the street. Then there was a report that came out that talked about the emissions in China and how it went from being heavily polluted to nothing at all, simply because people went inside. Right. And everyone was talking about that, but no one was paying attention to the virus. Then the virus went airborne and then it became viral. Right. And I'm saying that to say. The revelation that I got out of it was you aren't concerned about something if you're already living a clean lifestyle. Right. So catch this. What's the first thing they started saying when they started talking about this coronavirus? Wash your hands and disinfecting clean surfaces. Now, I don't know about y'all fellas, but I grew up in a household where Sundays, my mom was scrubbing down the house anyway. You see what I'm saying? Like, I would always wake up to the gospel music playing, and you would smell Mr. Clean, a pine saw, like, you know what I'm saying? And my mom would get it in. And this was every single week. My mom was scrubbing toilets. She was scrubbing kitchen tables, countertops. You know what I'm saying? Like, this was just culture, okay? This is what I was used to growing up. So when this report comes out and now people are saying, yo, wash your hands, in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, we should have already been doing that. See what I'm saying? And then like the crazier part out of all, all of that is, so, so cats is now washing their hands, but then now we're, we're, we're buying up all of the disinfectant sprays and the, the wipes and stuff. And I begin to pose the question, well, what were we doing before this virus ever hit? You right. know what I'm saying? And so what, what's the revelation out of it? The revelation is God has a way of giving you a message without giving you the message. Like he's saying, if you live a clean, clean lifestyle, you're not concerned about it. But to those that don't live a clean lifestyle, there needs to be some changes that are done in your household. The second point though, and, and, and both of you mentioned it, is it is forced us to become relational again to the ones that matter. We've become very relational in our jobs. We've become very relational at school. We've become very relational to the public. But when it comes to those that dwell inside our own houses, we have lost our relationships with them. I was speaking the other day about how lifestyles have changed over time, where there was a time where families dwelled in a living room together. They ate dinner. They watched one TV set, and they would discuss life together. They would learn together. They would dwell together. But we became so modernized and so computerized and technologically savvy that we begin to put our attention in all these other things except for the thing that matter, which was our family. So now people are in this position where they are forced to be in front of people that they should have had a relationship with, and now it's contrary feelings because they don't know how to relate, right? So, so the third part, though, that I wanted to, uh, to express is like, you know, so now we know the, 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 the disease has allowed us to become more re relational, but we also have to understand that our relationship with God is most important first. So before this disease hit, 
understand that a lot of us religiously went to temples, to, to, uh, to church, and to these gatherings in order to have a move or feel a move of God, in order to worship, in order to have a good prayer, in order to hear a good word, in order sometimes to open our Bibles or even to, to even seek God for wisdom. We would always have to go to a conference, to a church service, to something, and God shut down the churches so that we would become the church inside of our homes. God turned our homes into altars, right? And, and it's important to understand that because we lost sight of not only relationship to the, the, the people that dwell in our house, but we lost sight of the fact that our house was supposed to be a place that God could dwell, right? So so now we're in a season where we've got to turn our attention into um, the, 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 the Shiloh of our homes and actually establish the right type of relationships. But to me, what sticks out the most is, to, to Tuck's point, when he said social distancing is a good thing, do you realize that it was social um, gap gatherings that caused a lot of influences to happen in society that have become contrary to what could be productive in our community. Like it's because we were always hanging around other people instead of establishing our household legacy and name that we've stride or, or strayed away from building and establishing something that our children would be able to benefit from and their children would be able to benefit from. See, back in those days, families knew how important their legacy was because they stuck together and they built their own community within their households to a place where their brand, their 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 uh, livelihood was able to be passed down from generation to generation, right? So so what happened? Society comes in, we modernize everything, and now we have everybody flowing in the same direction. We have everyone aspiring to do the same things. We have everyone spending their money in the same aspects and avenues, right? Well, now we're in a position where once again, we can start focusing internally on what do we have in our hands inside this household that can make us productive and more importantly, can become lucrative, right? So, so a lot of people look at this coronavirus as something that is negative, but at the end of it all, it's actually positive. And, and unfortunately, yeah, there were people that have died from it, but I'm going to be real with y'all. It was people that probably didn't live a clean a lifestyle according to the health department. I'm not even talking from a judgmental perspective. They're saying that this virus was contracted and the only way it would spread is if we weren't making sure we were monitoring how we were uh, how we were uh, dealing with cleanliness, right? So, so it, it, it's a visual representation of what God is saying. You can be affected by things of the world if your lifestyle isn't clean. So, for me, like the coronavirus, it it was a wake up call. But with all that being said, it's also a time for people to show true colors. I want to say that as much as we know, people have price gouged. People have uh, raised prices. People will buy out things and then sell it for twice the amount to tr try to make a profit. I've seen cats buying all the toilet paper rolls and then going on marketplace and selling the packs for twice the amount just to make a quick couple dollars to the point where stores are now forcing people to get a limit per thing. You can only get one package of, of meat now because everybody was buying it out. And I'm saying that to say it showed true colors of people's selfishness, but it also showed a lot of people's compassion. I think about how many great companies right now have opened up their, their mindset and how they want to serve their clients, their people, because of the pandemic. As a business owner, 
many of the vendor, uh, vendors and the third-party apps that I use for even collecting payments have waived fees in this, uh, this these months so to protect what I bring in from a from my business. Like, you know, PayPal, um, even down to like the percents that I would get back or I would have to pay out to uh, third-party uh, card companies that that I charge, you know what I mean? So they're all saying in this these months, don't worry about our fees. You just run your business. And that to me is a big deal. So coronavirus to me, like it, it's supposed to not, to, to Tuck's point, it's not supposed to make us fearful. It's supposed to make us cognizant. We're not supposed to be ever in a position where something that is in China <clears throat> dictates how we live unless our lifestyle was never, was contrary to the righteousness that we're supposed to have to begin with. But now that the wake up call is out, my challenge to everybody is, what do you choose to do in these hours um, to make them productive? A lot of people see it as a period of rest. I see it as a period of recharge. There's something that, that God is allowing us to do in this hour to prepare us for what's next. See, when you put a phone on a charger, the, ch the phone is resting essentially, but more importantly, it's storing up energy so that when it becomes detached from the charger, it can carry itself and carry a lifespan while being mobile. See what I'm saying? So for all of us, like the complacent, woe to the complacent that sat back and was like, well, I'm chilling. It's not affecting me. So let me catch up on my Netflix. No, the entrepreneurs should be really focusing on what's your business plan when the when the lights come back on. To the ones that are leading people, what is the business plan uh, to, to, to bring people into a next level of their next or their best uh, when the lights come back on? To, to the, the heads of households, where's your family going to step next when the lights come back on? Because the truth be told, yeah, a lot of a lot of companies right now are 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 not pay, um, allowing us to, to or not allowing. They're they're forbearing and they're allowing us to uh, forego bills for the next two months, right? Which is great. That means people will have a storehouse when they come out of this. But what is your plan with your finances once the lights come back on? Are you going to automatically go back to being the tail? Because let's be real, right now you're in a position to be the head. If you had a car, my wife and I, we pay $1,100 in car notes a month. We got $2,200 worth of bills that are being deferred right now, which means that I have now $2,200 that I can put aside and I can invest it in something that could become very productive for my family and give me a better uh, payback later. So, so to, to, to everyone that is concerned about the coronavirus, I challenge you and I submit to you the request to shift your concern to your future. What are you going to do next? What is your next steps? You see what I'm saying? Because, yeah, a lot of businesses are eating right now off of the fear and the pandemic. A lot of businesses are, 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 are eating off of the fact that people are scared. So the toilet paper companies are excited about their warehouses being filled with toilet paper because they're making a killing. Masks that used to be 58 cents a mask are now up to $7 a mask. They're making a killing off of something that no one that no one ever thought would have been, become lucrative. And then these, these healthcare workers and these healthcare physicians and stuff, they're making a killing because so many people are panicking and running into their offices and they're paying these co-pays and they're, they're taking all these prescription medicines and they're, you see what I'm saying? Because of fear and no one's looking at what's next. So oh. that's my personal opinion about the coronavirus. What's next? Hot diggity. What's next? Mm, 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 mm. So actually what's next is uh, our sit down with Mr. Mozan uh, himself. Mr. Mozan is going to be in the hot seat. Um, and he represents a ministry called Ministry for Millennials. So, Mr. Mozan, if you unmute yourself, 
um, we're gonna have a way of basically uh, quick fire questions um, from myself and Tuck um, that you need to answer or that you can answer uh, so that our listeners uh, can get to know just a little bit more about who you really are. Fair enough? Let's do this. Hey, Tuck, you want to go first with the question or you want me to go first? Uh, You can lead out. All right, cool. So, Mr. Mozan Jr. or Mozan the second, give us uh, the second, give us a brief uh, synopsis of what uh, Ministry for Millennials is. All right, so Ministry for Millennials is a ministry for young people, um, led by young people looking for God. And um, one thing that I've learned in my walk was the dogmatic and systematic approach of religion was what pushed me into rebellion. Um, But at the end of it all, God is real, Christ is real, and I had to find him for myself. And so me and a group of close friends, my wife, um, you know, and and, and a close knit of us, we began just basic Bible studies in the household, you know, And, and it started at four and it quickly became 30, 40 people. And uh, what what happened was God began moving in personal spaces rather than public spaces. So um, we had a month of Pentecost where many were filled with the Holy Spirit, right? In living rooms and dining rooms in the middle of the streets, you know, we had um, conversions, people that were Islam coming over to Christianity. We had um, people that were um, living ungodly lifestyles um, coming over to righteousness. You had um, marriages being saved. You got young people that knew nothing about God now having a fire and a zeal to, to, to just run for God. And, and, and so we created this group and even though it's ministry for millennials, it's not limited to the millennials, but it's limited to anybody that has a mindset of looking at God in a different way. So Isaiah 43, the chapter, the 43rd chapter is what I believe this ministry is based off of where God began to tell the people, are you willing to look at me come a different way? I can make a way in the wilderness. I can make rivers and deserts. I can do things that no one else can do. If you're willing to trust and believe me in your lowest point, in your hum- your humble spot. So Ministry for Millennials becomes a, a group of young believers, encouraging young believers to build a kingdom. And then the bigger part is we become a resource of righteousness to other ministries. So we, we lead um, a, a youth ministry as well for a church, and we can now direct young people to a church that we trust that, that you know, gives sound doctrine. And now we become the catch net, the fishermen in the wilderness, and redirecting the young people once they've established relationship and to the house. So we've got great testimonies of people that haven't been to church in a decade that have now begun to go back to church because they have a relationship with God and they understand this importance of church. Y'all, church ain't dead. Church has never been dead, but we had to reestablish and reevaluate what the definition of church was. And that's what Ministry for Millennials is basically about. Mm. You got a question too? So um, one thing that comes to mind is this idea of the church not being dead. And I really like that because one thing that I'm big on is um, the fact that the church is not the buildings that we go to. Um, It's not about the buildings that we go to. It's not about um, the seats that we sit in, but rather the actual, the people. So my question to you is, um, what is your, I guess, what what do you have as far as like, um, what do you see ministry for uh, millennials uh, where do you see ministry for millennials in 10 years? So in the Bible, when Christ asked uh, his disciples, who am I? Peter steps up and says, you are the son of God. And, and Christ's response to him was, 
Only my father would have given you that information. So he says, today, at the time, his name was Simon. He says, today, I call you Petra. Petra, which meant Peter or meant rock. And he said, upon this rock, I shall build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. What I've learned is what God, Christ wants to build his church on is not a building, but an understanding. And so my, my purpose, my focus is to awaken the young people, this young generation, the Joshua tribe, right? Because the Moses tribe is our elders that knew to follow God and they're following them in the wilderness. But it was Joshua's generation that actually walked into Jericho and began to destroy the Canaanites and begin to take over lands and begin to conquer promise, right? I believe that in 10 years, we will have a generation of Joshua's that are not only conquering um, lands and taking promises, but they're beginning to spread the truth of the kingdom of heaven. So what, what we are doing right now is we're opening the mindset so that people can get back aligned to the sonship, the true sonship of God. When you know you're a son and you sit at his table, you inherit the things that your father gives you, right? And so 10 years down the road, my expectation, it's not even like a thought, it's not even a hope, it's not even a prayer. My expectation is that the fired up 10 years down the road that the, the, the society has not only begun to acknowledge God more openly and freely, but there is godly lifestyles in our communities. There is godly lifestyles in our government. There's godly lifestyles across the nations, across the world. And above all things, the generation that's has yet to come, have an opportunity to get experience with God before, you know, life really hits. So my 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 goal for, for my, my expectation 10 years is um, M for M becomes a, a vital part of, of church resources when it comes to outreach people and young generations. Um, we expect to have buildings that um, are hubbing um, the resources to do outreach. So we want buildings with docks that we can move trucks and send it out to the homeless and, and feed those that are in need. We want to be able to, to create uh, temporary shelters for those that are displaced. Uh, we want to be able to give strategy to those that have business ideas um, and, and show them how to keep Christ in the center of it so that their business can take off and be lucrative. We want to be able to help establish true relationships and marriages so that marriages will last. You know what I mean? These are just some of the things when when the, uh, the the original sat down, we came up with a vision of a building. And in this building, it had different uh, avenues and different hallways that catered to different people. So down one hall was the men's hall. And then when you went into the men's room, it was literally a bar setting where men could sit on stools. And instead of getting served alcohol, they were getting served the word. You go down another hall and it was the woman's uh, wing. And the women's wing had nothing but vanities and mirrors. And it was all about making over their spiritual appearance. So they were making up themselves, but it wasn't vanity it was through Christ right and then you went down another hall and it was the kitchen and it was a great table that people were able to pack bags for the homeless and there was a barber in there that was cutting hair and there was a wardrobe in there for people that had interviews and you know this is the vision that we have and I believe in 10 years multiple buildings like this will be established all over the nation for people that are really looking to bring God back into their lifestyle their homes their communities and above all things our generation mm. Okay, so the next question for you uh, would be, how, how do you feel, um, or what's your biggest accomplishment thus far, would you say, in the ministry? I think, and I don't take the credit as all God, but I think the biggest accomplishment thus far through God is just the amount of souls that have been filled with the spirit and now walk forward in their purpose. I think that like when it comes down to it, any ministry should not measure the success by the number, but measure their success by the impact, right? 
So if I have one that like got filled with the Holy Spirit and that person is able to compel a hundred souls, that's success to me. You see what I'm saying? Because that's the acts of the apostle. So I think my sick, um, what I would say is my definition of success is the amount of disciples that God has allowed us to, to make in the process of not even a year, not even a year. We won't be a full year until June. And I could say um, several dynamic leaders now, but more importantly, many that are just crying aloud and sparing not. So my question pertains to more uh, the combination of your personal life, um, which God intersects all, all, all I know for you and uh, for, for us, but for your personal life, um, in 1 Timothy 3.5, it talks about being able to manage your own home and, and, and that being the first priority or the first ministry before going into other ministry. How do you, as a leader, as a dynamic leader, such as yourself that has people outside of the home calling upon you or looking to you for different advice or whatever it may be, um, or just direction and things like that, uh, being that you're a person who hears from God and, um, and, and receives clear revelation, um, you have so many people pulling from you. How do you balance or how do you um, manage doing both? Um, because it's important to keep knowing your ministry that you're doing with Ministry for Millennials, um, with everything else that you do. But at the same time, we're also urged to focus on our home front and make sure that that's in order. How do you how do you deal with that on the daily? And listen, <laughs> yo. Um, so the, the the lifestyle that I've had has drastically changed since April of last year. Um, last year, April, I took a dynamic step of faith and listened to God and walked off of a seventy-five plus thousand dollar job. Um, and my wife and I, and this isn't to boast, but we were a six-figure income household, like very comfortable. Um, although six figures, we didn't have anything to show for it. Finances were in disarray and the management wasn't good. Um, and, and a lot of it was the way we were raised, right? Not knowing some things, but uh, uh, more of it was just gluttony and just, you know, being just very um, materialistic. And I'm speaking for myself more than my wife. Um, and so when God told me to walk off of my job, um, my wife had to come into agreement with me, of course. And when she did come into agreement and I walked off, there was a dynamic change. My lifestyle became different because I now no longer was more sold into my job. I was more sold into the concerns of my household. Um, and spending more time with my children and, and, and being able to be a part of raising them, especially my youngest, my boy, um, seeing him begin to develop his personality and knowing that I had a lot to do with it because I was around um, was, was a big part. So then ministry was birthed. And after ministry started with me and my wife becoming more connected and then my kids and I giving a better relationship, then we were able to branch out and, um, you know, the Bible studies begin in our home. And so then after the Bible studies begin in our home, then different things begin to happen with different avenues and doors begin to open. And next thing you know, there's several, like, you know, I would say a couple hundred people uh, in, in a week span I'm dealing with. And I'm not boasting, I'm being real. But I've learned that the balance came in bringing God and Christ to the center of my family and making it our lifestyle. 
So when it became our lifestyle, it's easy to manage the things that we do and outside of the four walls because it's already what we do inside the four walls. One thing that I've learned, though, is as a man of God and as a leader, we don't need to look for assignment. We're either sent for or someone is sent to us. Think about the story of David. The Bible says that when David came to the forefront, right, and he was delivering the food to his brothers, he was sent there by his father, right? And he began to ask a question until the Bible says, and you can look at it, the word says Saul sent for him, right? So so we have to know as leaders that God doesn't put us in a position where we need to search for our assignments. The assignments come. And when the assignments come, they literally come right at your front door. And as long as your lifestyle is is really upright and righteous with God, your lifestyle is the blessing all by itself. You see what I'm saying? So a day, and and I can just talk about my last two days, from the hours of two to about nine o'clock every night, I'm on prayer line, Bible study, prayer line, um, you know, one after another after another, several hours for the last couple of days. Before that, from the hours of about 10 o'clock in the morning till about one o'clock, phone call behind phone call behind phone call behind phone call, and it's people calling me. At the same time, my wife is working at home. I still get my time with my wife. My kids are here, so I I still get time with my children. I'm also in the process, like I lead a youth ministry. So I have Bible studies that we have to go to. We have different worship services that we go to. I'm a minister of music. So I'm in work, you know, and I'm doing all these things. But because it's my lifestyle to keep God in the center, it my, my, my family isn't lacking, but everyone has become an extension of that family. So I, I think the best way to explain it I've learned to literally let God direct my steps daily. A lot of us wake up in the morning with our own premeditated thought of how we want to navigate through our day and the things that we want to accomplish. But the Bible says that when you pray to your father, give us this day our daily bread, that's talking about daily. I need you to give me not just the the, the substance to survive, but I need you to give me daily wisdom on, on what do you want me to do next? I don't predict my days anymore, nor do I plan them. I will write down, I have a planner. I write down what I'm supposed to do. I don't even know what my planner is. Um, Oh, here it is. I write down what I'm supposed to do in my planner, but at the end of it all, I let God write it for me. So my planner isn't filled with my thought, my ideas or my, my, um, my plans. My planner is now just filled with how God chose to navigate my day. And now I find myself like, here's a, here's a day, a week, Now I find myself in one week going back and reflecting on all the things that God placed at my feet to deal with. Um, People that I've been led to minister to, as much as they've been on my heart, I've learned it's to to intercede more than deal with them and find them and chase them down and follow up. You know what I mean? So to to, to answer the question, it's more manageable to, to lead a ministry and to deal with your family when family's first and it becomes your first charity, your first priority, your first ministry, and then everything else becomes an extension of it. My wife will always be my first priority in my life because she is my helpmate. And without her, I'm unequipped to do the things that God has called me to. Um, And then my children come next because they are the ones to carry and continue the legacy. So right now we're teaching them more than ever before the importance of God. My daughter asked my wife last night, why do you love God so much? And it became an interactive conversation around, well, what does God do for us? You see what I'm saying? I'm in a season right now where we're waiting for God to open up a door for us to own a home. And in the process, God is providing everything we need in the process. And he's also building me a a business. And he's also uh, establishing this ministry. He's also establishing my walk. He's also establishing relationships with key individuals that are helping me with my purpose. You see, all of these things God is doing, and the only thing I got to do is be cognizant of him. So I don't really have to forcefully manage too much 
as long as Christ is centered, I, I'm able to manage everything he puts before me. Oh, nuggets. There's a lot of nuggets in that. So for, for the last question for you, um, it is a simple question. Where can our listeners find you or find Ministry for Millennials? Well, you can find me all over, folks. Um, ministry for Millennials, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook heavy. Um, that's at Ministry for Millennials. Um, write the whole thing out. Uh, you can find me on my Facebook. My Instagram is Real J Mozon, M-O-U-Z-O-N is the last name. Um, we, we've got all types of avenues. There's conferences that are coming up in the future that many will hear about. So just follow those pages um, to get more of that information. But I believe by faith that if it's meant for us to connect, God to establish a platform and we'll be there. So that's just what it is. I just want to say, man, it's been a, it's been an honor to have you on, man. For the first episode, right. um, you've helped us out in so many ways. Just in the, this small window of time that we got to talk, um, what I want to say in closing about you is that James is such an authentic, consistent, and transparent person. And to watch him, we went to high school together. So to watch the growth from high school to now, and to see. Um, a brother that has just grown tremendously, but continues to grow, not just uh, satisfied with where he's gotten. Because some people can be satisfied being where he is as far as in the spiritual sense, but he's like, there's yet more, there's more. And um, watching that is such an encouragement. Um, and, when, and when you hear that iron sharpens the iron, just interacting with the content that you put up um, that comes from such a genuine place, uh, it's such an encouragement uh, to me. I remember, I remember us traveling through high school, mm. and we we didn't hang out all the time. We didn't, you know, we didn't really probably connect until after high school. Mm -hmm. But we intersected a lot as mm. far as just in different circles, whether it be through sports, uh, socially, or whatever. And so, just seeing your journey from then to now, and my journey from then to now, and you know, you've seen me, you've seen the things, my you know, that I've been through, whether it be through social media or just socially in school, um, being able to say that about somebody and, and be so like happy for them and, and, and more so joy. It's a, it's, a, it's a level of joy that I have for you, um, seeing that you're um, just elevating yourself um, or not even elevating yourself. You're allowing God to elevate you. Mm -hmm. and, and it's not a forced thing. It's not a, um, there's nothing fake about it. It's authentic. Like I said, it's transparent. You share your stuff. And that's a big thing for me. I think a lot of people um, that I've come across, and um, even if they are believers, they're so, they don't use their testimony, and you do. And so it's all for the glory of God, though. And that's why you're not ashamed to use that testimony. And that's something that I, can, I relate to because I just, I say stuff and people look at me and go, what the heck? You, you sharing that with us? Like, yeah, that's not for me. It wasn't for me to keep for myself. Mm -hmm. And and that's what I see in you as well. So to see you doing that, just when I might want to be reclusive and, and keep myself in, I realize I can't. I got to share my story. Mm -hmm. I got to tell people. I got to tell the people stuff. Because if not, then mm -hmm. I'm not. I, what did I go through that for? I didn't, you know, God didn't put, let me, not put me through, but let me go through things that I've gone through or let me travel the journey that I traveled for me to hide it and hold it back. So yeah. I just want to say that's important that you are that type of person. You're that type of man 
that'll share his story because not many people are doing that. A lot of people want to start, they want to start their story at, at their arrival of when they wake up, when they're enlightened, when they, when they see, they want to start there and just talk from there and go forward. And it's like, no, how did you get there? Because there's people right. watching that need to see that, right. you know, and that's really important. So that's what I want to say, man, just, just being around you all these years and, and, and being able to see you grow, seeing you um, get married, have children um, in many ways, I've been watching you. I admire you. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, expecting we're having a child in June. So you go on the path and the journey before me in that sense. And I've been able to watch you. And I've even your answer today about managing family and ministry. I've taken on a lot of responsibility in my uh, church as far as uh, ministry leadership. And so just managing the two, but making sure, like you said, that the key thing is that your first ministry is home. And in the Bible, it tells us, it says, if you can't manage your home, then you shouldn't even really be considering mm-hmm. <laughs> being in leadership or taking on all this stuff outside of your home. You got to get that. You have to have that in a certain place. And it looks different for everybody. So I understand that. I'm not saying there's this type of blueprint that of managing your home, but you got to have that. And I see that with you. I see that balance. I see how you are uh, training up your children in the way that they should go. You know, so that when they go grow old, they won't depart from it. Mm-hmm. Those are things that I'm watching, and I'm like, these are things that I need people, particularly men as a man, around me at my age doing these things. This you the real deal. You the real McCoy, bro. That that means a lot to me. I just want to leave this in here. You know, uh, for for people that are going to listen to this, Ray and Levi by stature are giants. They're big guys. Like, I remember the first time we all hung out, I really was the pink elephant in the room. We did not eat his milk or drink his milk growing up because, like, these guys are giants. But I want to leave y'all with this. Giants are perceived by how they're saw, how they're seen. Giants are perceived by how they're seen. And I thank God that I'm surrounded by giants, both of these guys, pillars in their communities, pillars in, 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 in their, their families, pillars in, in churches and, and, and pillars and in, 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 in their pillars because they're giants. And I thank God for both of your stories. I thank God for this relationship because people see, you see what I'm saying, how you live, and it has translated as a giant. And so for everyone else, I thank God for this podcast, Fresh Perspective, because not only are you guys going to see it in a different set of eyes, but you're seeing it in the eyes of giants. And now you can become giants in your own lives. And I thank God for both of you. I want you both to be encouraged. I want you both to continue to press. You know, as men, especially Black men in this society, it's hard to thrive. But I thank God for the grace over both of your lives. I thank God for the grace over both of your unions. I thank God for the grace over both of your families that has allowed you the opportunity and afforded you the opportunity to not only step, but step in dynamic purpose that many can follow the footsteps of giants. And so I'm thankful and I am uh, just honored to be the first guest on something that is going to change many people's lives. Um, and, and, you know, I can sit back and put this one in the frame and be like, oh, I was on that joint episode one, put it down. So I just thank God for both of you guys. Um, and, 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 you know, y'all already know, y'all are brothers for life, but, but people need to understand that 
This level of collaboration is needed today more than ever before when kings can sit at a table and iron sharpening iron, but more importantly, that iron turns into the rod that can now be used to attack life. Mm-hmm. And so I'm thankful for both of you guys. And, and, and again, I'm just, I'm, I'm just honored, man. I'm honored. So uh, we thank you, um, like Levi alluded to earlier, we thank you for joining us on the first episode of the Fresh perspective podcast um, where you'll find all the latest and greatest current events that the world has to offer us um, but it will be backed by biblical um, foundation um, and nothing less and we will stand firm in what we believe um, for the world to see because it takes a giant to stand up to get the rest of everybody else's attention so thank you guys for joining us um, and tuning in to our podcast. We'll see you next week.